0: me now in your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 31. Um, as I mentioned last week, and of course, uh, as I've mentioned in, in the past in an article that may have appeared in a paper, I'm, I forget if this was mentioned, but um, I'm, my plan, my goal is, is to be preaching through the entire Bible, Now, not in one year, in the course of se- um, several years, if, if God should tarry, if God should, um, so will it, allow it. Um, and as as we, as I reach toward that goal, I'm preaching through certain books of the Bible. Uh, one of them having been now the book of First Samuel, which we have gone through in our evening service. And I, I believe in preaching through through uh, a balance of uh, New Testament, Old Testament, and. And a variety and switching things around for different services. We've been preaching through New Testament books and mostly in the morning service. Now we're going to flip um, the book of First Samuel, uh, the end of it and beginning of Second Samuel into the morning service, and Second Thessalonians into the evening service. And uh, we'll look, be looking at the coming of the Antichrist tonight in Second uh, Thessalonians uh, chapter two. But this morning we're in First Samuel chapter 31 and also Second Samuel chapter 1. This week in our country, uh, we have a transition of power. We have uh, one president leaving office and another taking office. And uh, our country's been blessed with such peaceful transitions of power. And, uh, and we hope that uh, both the, the, man, the man who is leaving office and the man coming into office will, um, Act in an honorable way toward one another and toward uh, their office and that the people of the United States, we as citizens, will act and treat both of them honorably as well. In First Samuel uh, chapter 31 and 2 Samuel 1, Sam- Samuel 1, we begin to see a transition of power about to take place as one king leaves office because of his death and another is about to take that office. Um, and there's going to be a period of transition where David, the new king, is, is not accepted by the entire country of Israel. We'll see that in future chapters, uh, where at first one of Saul's sons will be held to by uh, many of the Israelites as the next king, and he's not immediately accepted. But we see a certain contrast in these two passages that has to do with honor. Um, now, to, to kind of review a little bit, uh, the book of 1st Samuel. Uh, if I could point to one verse in the book of 1st Samuel as being perhaps a theme for the book. And 1st and Samuel, I want to remind you, was um, at the time it was written, and uh, really until about the 1500s, uh, it was combined with 2nd uh, Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings. At one time, they were organized as 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th Book of Kings. Uh, another other times, you know, just uh, one book of Samuel, one book of Kings. It's been organized different ways over throughout uh, Jewish and Christian history, um, and uh, we also have a parallel account of this history in the books of First and Second Chronicles. But in the in the book of First Samuel, near the beginning of the book, I'm, I'm in uh, my first or second message out of First Samuel, we looked at verse. 30 of chapter 2 in 1 Samuel, which mentions when uh, God is uh, speaking to Eli, he says, For them that honor me, I will honor, and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. And in 1 Samuel chapter 31, we see the most important element of the different characters in these stories, as well as 2 Samuel chapter 1, is how the characters honored God. And in these two chapters, chapter 31 of 1 Samuel, chapter 1 of 2 Samuel, we find a contrast in five differing examples of how the characters acted either honorably or dishonorably, and how they honored God or they honored the person chosen by God to rule or not. And those five characters or groups of characters we're going to look at in these two chapters begins with King Saul himself having dishonored God during his life. He is about to reap the consequences of that dishonor and and with a dishonorable result, his in his death. The second uh, characters we're going to look at will be the Philistines as they dishonorably treat King Saul. The third will be the men of Jabesh Gilead. and We'll we'll remind you of who they are and what their importance is here, their significance. As they treat King Saul, even as he has passed away now with honor and respect. Then in the book of First Samuel, Second Samuel chapter 1, we'll look at how King David, who's not the king yet, but David, how he treated Saul with honor, and how the Amalekite did not, uh, and how the Amalekite made a great error that will, will cost him dearly uh, in not acting honorably. So we see a contrast of honor, honor versus dishonor, and these five different examples of that in this passage this morning. Before we begin, let's let's pray again and ask God to bless this message and to speak through our hearts and encourage our lives through his word and the message from his word this morning. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for how you are working in this church and working in our lives and how you speak through us when we come to your, speak to us, when we come to your word and study it and uh, how you can use preaching to speak their hearts as well. And I pray that you would do that this morning for your glory, that uh, each one would be able to hear the words of this message and be encouraged to live in such a way that honors you and in a way that we live our lives honorably and treat others honorably as you would have us to do and uh, that we would uh, see the examples of such and follow those examples and the examples of dishonor and living dishonorably and dishonoring you or, or your chosen leadership that, uh, that we would not follow, follow those examples anyway, but be um, instructed from your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for, for the great honor that you've given us to be your children. Thank you for that. That's a great privilege and and gift that you've given through your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. We pray now that you, you bless us this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first example of honor or dishonor we find in the opening verses of 1 Samuel 31 with King Saul himself and his armor bearer. 1 Samuel 31, verse 1. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Geboah. Now for those of you, I know it's been a few weeks since, for those of you who are even in our evening services, and for those of you who have not been, um, we, in previous weeks, looked at the previous chapters of 1 Samuel, where we found In the previous chapter, David, previous couple of chapters, David had been almost prepared. He he was prepared personally. He was ready to go and fight on the Philistine side in perhaps this very battle. And God intervened. The Philistines did not accept him. They did not trust him. They remembered who he was, having been a great hero for the Israelite side, and had fought and won battles against Israel. The Philistines in the past, and the Philistines did not trust him to fight with them against the Israelites, so he was not allowed to do so. Otherwise, he could have been fighting against what was really his best friend, Jonathan, King Saul's son, who will also fall in this battle. But instead, David uh, goes from the scene of the battle, returns to the town uh, in Philistine territory where he had uh, he and his men, uh, had made their headquarters and had placed their families and had left them behind while they were going to, preparing to fight in this battle. During the, that time, the Amalekites came and captured their families and they had to pursue them. They sought God's help and God's lead in doing that and God directed them to go ahead and pursue and they did rescue their families, including David's wives and children. And they smote the Amalekites and won a great victory over them. But about the same time that's happening, the Philistines do go into battle against the Israelites, as we find in chapter 31. Leading up to that battle, King Saul was greatly troubled. He was seeking God's direction, he was seeking God's help, but not finding it. Because he had already departed from God's plan, from God's ways, and was fighting against God's plans now. He had disobeyed God previously in two important cases. He had not waited for Samuel back when Samuel had been alive to show up at the scene of a a Philistine battle that would end up being a victory because of his son Jonathan's courage and leadership and faith in God. But he had not waited for Samuel to show and offer the sacrifice and had done so himself and for that had forfeited the continual reign of his descendants on the throne of Israel. And then in another situation following that, he was instructed to, attack the Amalekites, the enemies of Israel, and utterly destroy them, and he disobeyed. He attacked them, but he did not utterly destroy them. He kept many of them, uh, he kept some alive, specifically their, uh, their flocks and, and the king, and did not utterly destroy them as he was supposed to. And then you see the Amalekites are the same, that same group is the one that takes David's family and the families of his men captive. In chapter, uh, in chapter 30, the previous chapter. And you're going to see an Amalekite is the one who's going to try and take credit for Saul's death in the next chapter, in 2 Samuel chapter 1. And then Saul, not finding God's direction for this battle, turns to a witch and seeks counsel through sorcery, and God ends up allowing somehow uh, through Samuel, who is dead, to deliver a message to Saul, and some believe it was actually just Satan uh, taking words that were already known, a message that was already known, and discouraging Saul through that. But nonetheless, we see in, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll compare 1 Chronicles chapter 10, where it lists that as a reason that Saul dies in this battle because he turns to a witch and does not, because he could not find God in his direction for his life because he had already rejected God's direction for his life. He turns to a witch and gets the result, the curse of being punished by death in this battle. And that is foretold by the witch, through the witch, through the Perhaps not the witch, his power herself, but through God allowing Samuel to give a message in that circumstance, strangely, in, in that strange way that we looked at a few weeks ago, back in, uh, back in chapter 28 of 1 Samuel. And so Saul knows that he's destined to die in this battle. He knows that. But he goes into the battle anyway. He um, eats a meal in that chapter, at the end of chapter 28 and strengthens himself, is encouraged by his men, and, and goes to face his fate, whatever that may be, in chapter 31. And we see at the beginning now that things are not going well in verse 1 of chapter 31 for the Israelites, as they begin to flee before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Geboa. Verse 2, and the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons, and the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and um, Melchishua, Saul's sons. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was sore wounded of the archers. And uh, from from other sources, it's it's said, according to Jewish tradition and the, uh, um. In the Greek translation of this passage, that they hit him, apparently below the ribs and above his navel, and. In a, with, with these arrows so that he was mortally wounded he's going to die and he's not able to escape although the Philistines do not immediately catch up with him they actually don't find him until the next morning but if you, if you wanted to you can turn also to, with me but keep a, a finger here and we'll be right back to chapter 31 but 1st Chronicles 10 gives a parallel account of this 1st Chronicles chapter 10 verse 1 where First Chronicles tells us, Now the Philistines fought against Israel. And the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Geboah. And the Philistines followed hard after Saul and after his sons. And the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and, and Melchishua the sons of Saul. And the battle went sore against Saul and the archers hit him. And he was wounded of the archers. And then Saul said to his armor bearer, and we'll find this, in the next passage, I'll just maybe keep a marker there, we'll come back, and will at the end of 1 Chronicles chapter 10, it will give a reason why this happens to Saul, which we can also get from 1 Samuel, looking at the previous chapters. But in 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse 4, 1 Samuel 31, verse 4, which parallels the account of, of this in 1 Chronicles chapter 10, we find that Then said Saul unto his armor-bearer, Draw thy sword, and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. So Saul died and his three sons in his armor bearer and all his men that same day together. And then look at 1 Chronicles 10 again. Verse 13 and 14 gives a summary reason. Earlier in the chapter, we see really the same account that we'll look again at in in 1 Samuel chapter 31. But in 1 Chronicles 10, 13, it says... So Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not, and also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit, to inquire of it. Speaking of the witch of Endor. Verse 14, And inquired not of the Lord, therefore he slew him, and turned the kingdom unto David, the son of Jesse. And we'll go back now to 1 Samuel chapter 31 we see that Saul's sons they die even before Saul himself and really it's for the dishonorable life that their father had lived had their father had not obeyed the commandments of God and he didn't seek God perfectly he he sought him at times where it would benefit him but then God did not answer him in the end And he turned to a witch to try and get the answer. And for that, it ultimately costs Saul his life. And Saul, you know, sometimes perhaps it's better not to know what what the end of your life is going to be or when it's going to come. Saul, he cannot find the answers from God, so he turns to the witch and ends up getting the answer, which he doesn't really want to hear, which is he's going to die in this battle. And then he partly self-fulfills that prophecy when he falls on his own sword. And there's many different discussions of this where, you know, some will say, well, he's going to die anyway. Others will say, well, you know, if the Philistines don't show up till the next morning, we'll see that in the following verses, perhaps he could have escaped with his armor bearer off the field somehow. But he believing, you know, having already heard the prophecy that he's going to die in this battle, believes he's going to die. So he believes there is no hope whatsoever and takes his own life to escape what is probable that the Philistines will. Uh, abuse him, that the, they may torture him, that they'll mock him in some way. Probably, in some way, if he were to even survive this, like the Philistines had previously done to Samson, they put Samson's eyes out and made him to to grind uh, like an ox, to grind um, at a mill, and to toil and to to be their slave, and then brought them out as it brought him out and as they were having a feast, to, to mock him. Probably something to that effect that he may have had in mind. He didn't want to go through that, didn't want to go through any torture or mocking that they might do to him and preferred to just die. And you know, because of the hell within him, um, the suffering within him, this is why some people you know, co- who are not saved commit suicide. And, and we've looked at how God used Saul and had his Holy Spirit upon his life. But some, because of the suffering, the agony that they go in, they, they jump off into hell. They jump off into eternal suffering. They're not improving their life by committing suicide. They're, they're, they're not ending their suffering. For Saul, uh, we've looked at in our study of him that he may, be, uh, may have been truly saved as he you know, he was a follower of God. He rejected some of God's instructions for him and had to pay the ultimate sacrifice here, the ultimate punishment for that here, as well as the end of his reign, the end of his line of of his sons not being able to continue ruling Israel that will be given over to David instead. That was part of the punishment that was foretold to him while he was still alive. And he sought to fight against that by trying to hunt David down, recognizing the, the spirit of God on David and wants to... And David's life, but is unable to do that. Fight, he's trying to fight against God in doing so. And, and finds that when you reject God and his plan for your life and try to fight against God, it's hopeless. And he finds that end here in a dishonorable way. Now, of course, in secular history, especially with the Romans and others throughout uh, history, it's been considered more honorable to c- take your own life if you're, rather than to be captured by the enemy. Perhaps that's also in Saul's mind. Uh, that was very common. Any Roman general losing a battle would take his life before the enemy could catch him. That was always considered more honorable to go that way uh, before... And, and so Saul dies in, in more of that pagan way. I don't believe it's God's will for us ever to, to give up all hope and turn to suicide. Don't believe that's, that's justified, but he turns to that here. He tries to get his armor bearer to commit the act and is unable to do so. His armor bearer, according to Jewish tradition, whether that's true or not, was Doeg the uh, Edomite, uh, who previously we saw in 1 Samuel at first Sam, in 1 Samuel, at one point, Saul turns to his men and tells them to kill all the priests who helped David by giving David and his men food and giving David the, the sword of Goliath. Even though David did not tell the priests, and the priests were unaware that, that he was fleeing from Saul or that Saul was trying to capture him and kill him, they were not even aware that they were helping a fugitive But Saul was furious, nonetheless, that they had helped David, and ordered them executed. And it's said that, and and it is given account in that passage that Doeg the Edomite, when no one else was willing to fall on the priests and kill them, he took it upon himself. According to Jewish tradition, that's the armor bearer here in this passage, who ultimately meets his end. Perhaps he's he's afraid because it's the armor bearer's job to protect his master. And if he kills Saul, he ultimately has to give account for that. And we'll see in 1 Samuel chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 1, what the consequences of that is. If he was to actually go ahead and kill Saul, David would, would not have forgiven Doeg for that, and, or whoever the armor bearer is for doing that. So he's afraid to do that. And then, and then he's afraid when he actually sees Saul take his life that you know, he has failed to protect him and now he's dead, so he also falls on his sword and dies here. We also see that the battle um, does not go well for Israel. You know, the, uh, we'll see in Second in Samuel in future weeks that Abner and another son of Saul do not die in this battle. Perhaps they're not present at the battle. Or perhaps you know, many of the actual, Uh, soldiers of Saul do escape the battle. It sounds in 1 Samuel that uh, all of his men die, but in, in, in 1 Chronicles, it says that it's the men of his house. So it's the men of his house that are in the battle, his three sons, they all die with Saul in this battle. And then the Philistines, our second example of honor or dishonor, are an example of dishonor as well they live up to the reputation that uh, Saul believed that they would abuse him if he stayed alive and they found him look at verse 8 and it came to pass on the morrow when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen in the mount in Mount Gilboa and they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent into the land of the Philistines round about to publish it in the house of their idols and among the people. And they put his armor in the house of Ashtaroth and they fastened his body in the wall of beth If you turn to First Chronicles, it gives us even a few other details about that. In First Chronicles 10, you know, verse 7, when all the men of Israel that were in the valley saw that they fled and that Saul and his sons were dead. They forsook their cities and fled, and the Philistines came and dwelt in them. And it came to pass on the morrow when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his sons fallen in Mount Geboah. And when they had stripped him, they took his head and his armor and sent into the land of the Philistines round about to carry tidings into their idols and to their people. And they put his armor in the house of their gods and fastened his head in the temple of Dagon, which is an extra detail that we didn't see specifically in uh, 1 Samuel. Let's go back to 1 Samuel 31, and this is a parallel also. This is also recorded in 1 Chronicles chapter 10. We see the Philistines acted dishonorably. You know, it's considered barbaric to treat bodies in, in this way, in this dishonorable way, to display them, to... Uh, not just decapitate, but then display the body and then put the head as a trophy, as a trophy of war in the, in the temple of their God. And the name of, of, of one of their Philist, Philistine cities where Ashtaroth, the house of Ashtaroth, um, beth shone, um verse 10. It's actually going to be changed later to a word that means a house of barbarism. Perhaps that's related to what happened here or the inhabitants that continue to live in there. It's now part of the Gaza Strip in Palestine, in Palestine today. So they're an example of dishonor. They dishonored their enemy. You know, it's, it's considered dishonorable to treat an enemy in this way. And that was what was expected of them by King Saul himself. But now, in verses 11-13, through 13, we have an example of honor. Verse 11, with the men of Jabesh-Gilead. The men of Jabesh-Gilead, they owed Saul for their security, for the fact that they were rescued by Saul when Saul first became the king. The way in which Saul united Israel was to call everyone to go to war against the Ammonites who had surrounded Jabesh-Gilead. And this is 20 miles away from Philistine territory, from the place where they go to rescue Saul and his son's bodies in chapter 31. But back in 1 Samuel 11 the men of Jabesh-Gilead had been surrounded by the Ammonites and the leader of the Ammonites you know, gave his terms of surrender to the men of Jabesh-Gilead. It was that they would be allowed to live, but every man would have his right eye thrust out. And the men of Jabesh-Gilead said, Okay, give us, give us a few days and we will come out to you and let you do as you have said. And they sent messengers to King Saul into Israel and Saul assembled Israel and rescued them, and defeated the Ammonites, and that really um, united Israel under King Saul's rule. And Saul had been used by God. We'll see that in First Second Samuel chapter one. David gives him the credit in his, and his sons for protecting Israel from their enemies and fighting against the enemies of God's people. God used Saul for that, even as a man who dishonored God by disobeying him. He had been chosen by God to lead Israel. Israel wanted a king to provide strong military leadership. God provided that through Saul for them, even as they rejected the leadership of his judge and prophet Samuel for their nation and gave them the type of king that they were looking for, a strong king who would protect them from their enemies. And so the men of Jabesh Gilead honor Saul at his death. Look at verse 11 of Chapter 31 in 1 Samuel. And when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard of that which the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshon and came to Jabesh and burnt them there. And they took their bones and buried them under a tree of Jabesh and fasted seven days. Later in 2 Samuel, those bones will be recovered and put in a proper tomb. This is more of a temporary situation to keep the Philistines from recovering the bodies and abusing them and displaying them any further. So they burn them. So there's no longer any incentive for the Philistines to come back, get those bodies, and put them back on display because now they've been burned and buried. But the men of Jabesh Gilead, they act honorably here. They are valiant, you know, disregarding the fact they had to travel 20 miles from Jabesh Gilead to do this, to capture, recapture the bodies. That were being dishonored by the Philistines and give them a burial and to make sure that the Philistines would not be able to regain those bodies. So the men of Jabesh Gilead act honorably, and they're a third example of honor or dishonor. And then, and we'll move quickly through second Samuel chapter 1, we see the response of David and the messenger who comes to David with the tidings of Saul's death. 2 Samuel 1 says, Now it came to pass after the death of Saul, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Malachites. So David just came back from defeating the Malachites and rescuing his family and the families of his men that had been taken from Ziklag, the city over in Philistine territory where where David had been hiding out from Saul as Saul had pursued him relentlessly and sought his life. And David had had two opportunities to take Saul's life and had refused to do so. Because Saul was God's anointed king. He was the one God chose to be the king. Until God chose to remove him as the king, David was going to wait, even though he had already been anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. The verse two. So notice in verse one, he has just come back from the slaughter of the Amalekites. And who should appear in the following verses as the messenger of Saul's death, but an Amalekite, an Amalekite? It came even to pass on the third day that behold, a man came out of the camp from Saul with his clothes rent and earth upon his head. And so it was when he came to David that he fell down to the earth and did obeisance. And David said unto him, From whence comest thou? And he said unto him, Out of the camp of Israel am I escaped. And David said unto him, How went the matter? I pray thee, tell me. Notice the concern of David. For Saul and his sons, among whom is Jonathan, A very good friend of of David, as we have seen in 1 Samuel and see here in this passage. And he answered that the people are fled from the battle, and many of the people are fallen and dead. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. And David said unto the young man that told him, How knowest thou that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? And the young man that told him said, As it happened by chance upon Mount Goboah, behold, Saul leaned upon his spear, and, of course, the, the implication is that Saul is wounded here. He's not just casually leaning on his spear, but he's wounded. And, lo, the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. You know, perhaps this man had witnessed what happened and decided to add his own details to the story. Perhaps he came in time, just in time, as Saul had, was trying to end his life and uh, was in the process of dying and, and finished him the rest of the way, perhaps. Or perhaps he just is lying about what happened here. But look at verse um, 7. When he looked behind him, he saw me and called unto me, and I answered, Here am I. And he said unto me, Who art thou? And I said, I, here it is, I am an Amalekite. An Amalekite, the people that Saul was supposed to utterly destroy and failed to obey and thus lost the kingdom and ultimately his life, an Amalekite. And the, the same group of people that David had just returned from slaughtering. He's an Amalekite. Verse 9, He said unto me again, says the Amalekite, Stand, I pray thee, upon me and slay me, for I anguish, for anguish is come upon me because my life is yet whole in me. So I stood upon him and slew him because I was sure that he could not live after that he was fallen. So perhaps Saul really has fallen on his sword and is still alive and says, please finish me off, I'm still alive. Um, perhaps that's the case or perhaps he's just Um, lying about this fact. And Saul is already dead because he's already fallen on his sword. But because I was sure that he could not live after that he had fallen, and I took the crown that was upon his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and have brought them hither unto my Lord. And that part of the story must be true because he brings them to David. Then David took hold on his clothes and rent them, and likewise all the men that were with him. The Amalekite surely, especially if this is a lie, was not expecting this. He was coming to David, who he knows Saul was, had been pursuing and trying to kill. He knows he's been hiding out in Philistine territory. He knows, perhaps even, that David had been prepared to go to battle against Saul. But he's not expecting David to rend his clothes and mourn the death of Saul. Not expecting that. He's expecting a reward, apparently. And they mourned, verse twelve, and wept, and fasted until even for Saul and for Jonathan his son, and for the people of the Lord, and for the house of Israel, because they were fallen by the sword. And David said unto the young man that told him, Whence art thou? And he answered, I am the son of a stranger and a Malachite. And David said unto him, How was that thou How wast thou not afraid to stretch forth thine hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? It's from this term, Lord's anointed, that the term Messiah comes from. Of course, it's not referring to Saul as the Messiah, but the one that God had chosen to lead his people as the king. And David, that was the very reason he gave for not killing Saul when he had the opportunity twice before in 1 Samuel. Even when his men urged him that God has delivered Saul into your hand, take his life now. And, and David refused. But now the Amalekite says that he has killed Saul. Verse 15, And David called one of the young men and said, Go near and fall upon him. And he smote him that he died. So the Amalekite is executed for the testimony of his mouth that said, I killed King Saul. He's not rewarded the way he thought he would be. He is actually executed because he dishonored God by by taking the life of King Saul, according to his story of the events verse 16. And David said unto him, thy blood be upon thy head for thy mouth has testified against thee, saying, I have slain the Lord's anointed. And then finally our fifth example of honor and dishonor is David's response, and we've already seen part of that here, that David mourns the death of the king, even though it was a wicked king, King Saul, who as we mentioned earlier, he had the priests of God dis- murdered. For helping David. He pursued David relentlessly trying to kill David. Had, had tried, thrown a javelin at him a couple of times. Had pursued him with the intent of killing him. And had tried to find other ways of bringing about David's demise. Had disobeyed God. Had turned to a witch. This was, a, this was a, an evil man. But yet because of his office as a king. Specifically as a king that God had chosen to lead Israel and being an instrument of God to deliver Israel from their enemies and protect them and provide the security for their nation. David honored him for his office. And it's an example, even for us today, even when we don't agree with the person who's in office or going into office in some way, that we can honor their office as the president, as the leader, as the person responsible for our national security. So David lamented with his lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. Verse 18, he also bade them. um, So this is David's lament here. It's like a psalm. David is known for writing many of the psalms. And he writes this poetry here about for his mourning, for Jonathan especially, but also for King Saul. Verse 18, also he bade them, teach the children of Judah the use of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher. The beauty of Israel is slain upon the high places. How are the mighty fallen? Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. it's It's amazing to David here that Jonathan has fallen because Jonathan had been such a valiant warrior before. Him and just his armor bearer had slain about 250 men and had brought about a great victory for Israel previously over the Philistines. And so they must have been just so overwhelmed in numbers. And then the Israelites themselves retreating, leaving Jonathan um, overwhelmed and and perhaps shot like Saul was with arrows and dies with two of Saul's other sons here in this battle. And this is similar to what happens to the last king of of Israel in David's line um, near the end of the Old Testament near the end of uh, the Chronicles and Kings. Zedekiah is uh, the, the last king to rule in David's line before the Babylonian captivity. When Nebuchadnezzar comes, when Babylon comes, takes away um, everyone into captivity, or there's a couple of, of, of cases there where, where there's Jews taken into captivity, and in one of those, Zedekiah himself is brought out, his sons are slain in front of him, his eyes are put out, and he's taken back to Babylon and put into the dungeon. And this is similar to what happens to Saul, only instead of being captured, he doesn't allow himself to be captured, believes he's going to die, going to be abused, and takes his life. But the last thing that happens before that is that he witnesses his sons perish. And so David mourns this. In verse 21, he says, Ye mountains of Geboa, let there be no dew, neither let there be rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty is vilely cast away, the shield of Saul, as though he had been anointed with oil. Not been anointed with oil. So he's, he's mourning the fact that Saul, whatever his flaws were, he was still a mighty man, someone who had fought for Israel, for, had fought the enemies of the people of God. And he had been chosen by God to lead them in that. He had been anointed by God. Verse 22, For the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan, turned not back. The sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Ye daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet, with other delights, who who put ornaments of gold upon your apparel. Saul had helped bring security and economic prosperity and stability to Israel. And for that, uh, David honors him here. Verse 25. How are the mighty fallen in the midst of battle? O Jonathan, thou wast slain in thine high places. I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. Perhaps he has in mind here his wife, the sister of Jonathan Michael, who was given to another man and, and later would, would treat David not very well, as we'll see later, um, that, that Jonathan's love was, was more loyal than uh, some of the women in David's life. Passing the love of women, how are the mighty fallen and the weapons of war perished? And so David honorably mourns the death of King Saul and Jonathan, he honors them, even in their death, even in this tragedy, even in God's punishment of Saul for the dishonorable way in which he lived and now has died. So in 1 Samuel 31, and 2 Samuel 1, we are taught to live and die honorably through these five examples that we've now seen. First of King Saul, who did live dishonorably and died dishonorably. And of course, that's an example that we, 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 we do in no way want to replicate in our lives at all. And then the uh, Philistines another were another example of living dishonorably. They treated Saul and his sons and their bodies dishonorably and just took them as trophies of war and displayed them in a barbaric fac- fac- uh, fashion. And then the men of Gilead, however, present us with an example of honor. They fought valiantly, or they They were valiant men. They were courageous. They went out of their way, 20 miles away, to take back the bodies of Saul and his sons and make sure that they were not going to be um, displayed any further the way that they had been so dishonorably. And they honor Saul and, and burn the bodies and bury the bones. And then we see the dishonorable example of the Amalekite who took it upon himself to bring the message to David, bring the crown, the bracelet, and brings the story, whether true or not, of having finished off Saul. And instead of being rewarded for that, he's executed because he dishonors the person God had chosen and uh, and presents the story apparently in such a way that this is a good tiding. He's probably not expecting David to mourn or he would have presented himself in a different, different way. He's, he's mourning the defeat of Israel, but... He's, giving, he's bringing the news, perhaps thinking that this was good news to David, that his enemy has fallen now, but David mourns. David is our fifth example of honor or dishonor in how he honors King Saul for his office and for his mighty deeds and, and defending Israel from their enemies, and especially for Jonathan, his friend, who had been very loyal to him. Uh, had stood up to his father for Jonathan, even at the risk of his own life. had fought valiantly for Israel and won great victories in the past. And, and David commemorates both of them. And that's what we, we always follow that example. When someone dies, we honor the person who's died and remember them for their great deeds. Not for their flaws at their funeral, but we, we follow this example of David. Who eulogizes Saul and Jonathan here and remembers even Saul for the honorable parts of his life. And so here we have an example of how ultimately, remember in in 1 Samuel in that verse, God honors those who honor him. He's going to honor David by giving him the throne now, as David has honored God, even to the extent of honoring the office of the one that God had anointed king, King Saul. So let's all of us remember the most important in our life is to give God honor to live honorably for God let's treat one another honorably and follow the good example of David and the men of Jabesh Gilead that we find here in this passage this morning let's bow for prayer